0: Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. We have a great show today. We're gonna to talk Buck Suns. So we'll recap what happened last night. Not the greatest game in the Pfizer Forum, so kind of emptied a notebook there. Then we'll talk about the linebackers in this year's NFL Draft with Nolan Murphy in the second to last, the penultimate edition of the Building Murphs Draft Manifesto. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll wrap it up with just a quick brewery cap on Brandon Woodruff, some timely hitting for the Brewers, how sustainable this is with all their injuries, And we'll just sort of ride the wave. But let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks lost a very tough game against the Phoenix Suns for what seems like the, I don't even know, eighth, consecutive, eighth time this year. The Bucs have had consecutive losses. They haven't had just one loss. We talked about that on the podcast yesterday with Mitch and I, if you haven't listened to it, how the last time that had happened was when they lost to Denver on a Monday night and then they bounced back and beat Memphis on Thursday right before the All-Star break. That's the last time it's happened and it's the only time it's happened where the Bucs haven't had consecutive losses. And it actually looked like Milwaukee was gonna bounce back and have a very impressive victory. All they had to do was close the door. And they did not close the door. They did not, they left that door wide open. Now, Chris Paul's a great player. Chris Paul is one of the best point guards that has ever played this game. But the fact of the matter is, is the Milwaukee Bucks did not have the defense I expected them to have in the fourth quarter against Chris Paul. And you look at their net rating in the fourth quarter. Mitch brought this up. Now I'm starting to look at it. Now I'm a little obsessed. I do like net rating as a stat in general. And their fourth quarter defensive net rating is a 28. Right now, the Bucks are allowing 122 points per 100 possessions in the fourth quarter in April. Now you're like, wow, Charlie, that's a lot of stats. But here's the thing. It's a really important, you know, stat there because it shows you how bad the defense has been in the fourth quarter. And it shows you that Mike Budenholzer really hasn't found that fourth quarter combination. Now I get Giannis has been out and I I understand that. I'm not ignorant, right? But at the same time, they need to start looking at different rotations. You know, PJ Tucker came into the game in the late, late fourth quarter, and he was really effective on the last couple possessions and made sure that Milwaukee forced overtime. But why wasn't PJ Tucker out there with three minutes left? Why was he out there with five minutes left? PJ Tucker should be part of Milwaukee's closing lineup. It's not really that hard to figure out. And I don't care really who he replaces. Do you want him to replace Pat Connaughton? Do you want him to replace Burke Lopez? Do you want him to replace Dante DiVincenzo? Look, I like Dante. I think Dante's a good player. But Dante, even though he has been a big game guy in college, it doesn't know, I don't know if he has it in the pros in the late game. Because Dante has struggled time and again with the fact of just trying to finish. Like he does not finish well. And and that's something that I, I don't understand. I, I don't know why he continually has struggles. I did tweet out that he got sucked in when Mikael Bridges hit that shot. Now, as a, our friend Mach pointed out, he did get sucked at eight and did kind of push him in. And that was a problem with the officials, which we'll get to, but you kind of notice I haven't talked about the officials yet because I didn't think the officials lost the Bucks this game. They didn't it was these other things that lost Milwaukee the game. We'll talk about that call in a second, but Milwaukee should have never have let it get to this point. The Bucks should have finished them off in the fourth quarter, and yet they didn't. And in the final possession, Giannis Kumbo had the ball. Mike Bunozor decided not to take a timeout. I You could go back and forth whether they should have ran a play. I think when you see the play they ran for Chris Middleton at the top of the key, you're like, wow, that would have been actually a really nice thing to have down the stretch in regulation, but it was Giannis and Aiton one-on-one and Giannis slips. And if Giannis doesn't slip there, and I, and I also like, I'm fine that Giannis took that last shot or I'm fine that Giannis made a last attempt at the at the basketball, right? Like I have no problem with him isolating there, but if I were Giannis, I might've pulled up or at least gave like a hesitation move to Aiton and then tried to take it to the rack and finish. And I know that's what Giannis wanted to do. He got too excited. He lost his footing. He needs to keep his composure there. And that that was just a tough look. And that was a tough way to finish off the fourth quarter. And then the Bucks throw up a prayer from Chris Middleton. But there really wasn't that great of a play. And I also didn't really like that. Why didn't they run some sort of action to get a, an easier shot or maybe even a more contestant shot but maybe try to draw a foul and see if you can win this game in regulation but it didn't happen and they went to overtime Giannis gets a cramp they keep him out because you know he just came back from a knee injury I get it I also get why he could cramp it was a highly competitive game I think Giannis played a ton of minutes in this one I can go look that up but the fact is is like like I, I who knows? Would this game have been different if Giannis played down the stretch? Maybe, but PJ Tucker might not have been. He hit one of the big shots to make sure that this game stayed close in overtime. You know, Giannis played 35 minutes. So obviously, yeah, maybe it was a little bit of he had dealt with the sort the cramp of not playing that much. It just kind of came back. And so maybe 35 was a little bit too much for him. And he acknowledged after the game, I need to have more fluids. And so, who knows? Maybe that wouldn't have happened with P.J. Tucker. Or Ganasua took over and would have won the game. Um, Another part that I I wonder about before I talk about the officials is what this game would have been like if fans were in attendance. Likely a sold-out crowd. I know there were some fans there, but if you kind of watched the game or you saw some of it, like, the fans aren't standing. Like, the energy in the arena, even though there are fans there, everybody's just an observer. It's not this rowdy-ass fan base. And I feel like if this game was in a normal time on a Monday night, I think you would have had a packed house, especially Brewers aren't in town. Like, I just feel like you would have had a big-ass crowd. I think the same for the Philadelphia games. And these type of situations where you have a controversial call at the end, fans matter. And to not sort of have the exasperate, like, like there is no way that official makes the call in a crowded arena, there's just no way that call happens. And we talked kind of about this when the bubble happened, where refs felt like they had the cachet to do whatever the hell they wanted because no one was there to kind of judge them. And so this foul call happens, and it was a bullshit call, and it, and it was one of the worst calls I've seen in a long time. And I, you know, had a review that was pretty fiery and for good reason because I was pissed off. I I, I don't understand why. They called that. I just don't get it. I don't get why that whistle, and maybe it was an anticipation because Tucker and Holiday were closing in, but there is no reason that whistle should have been called. They should have let that game go to second overtime and we we should have more takes off the double overtime than we should have Devin Booker hit a free throw and won the game for Phoenix. That's what, what should have happened. It didn't. And It's sad that the refs sort of robbed us of this game. Now, the pool reporter said, Oh, you know, it was a foul, and, and they, they defended the cause. They will, we'll see when the two minute report comes out. If the league, in fact, says yes, this was a foul, or they say no, it wasn't, it didn't constitute a foul. I think it may still, but the fact is, is like, Look, there's stuff like that all the time, and it never gets called, you know, Chris Paul put a forearm in into Chris Middleton in the final shot of regulation. Shouldn't that have been called? If we're gonna call that on PJ Tucker, we should call that on on Chris Paul. And I feel like the refs also swallowed their whistle in the fourth quarter. I think that's the bigger problem I have is I, I don't really have a problem with calling it if it, that's kind of how it's been. It's been a tight game. It's been consistent. They're calling a lot of fouls around the perimeter. But the fact is, is they... They were, they were letting so much go in the fourth quarter and overtime that they, it's like, what are we doing here? And so I, um, I, I think that it's, it's really frustrating. It's, it's, it makes you kind of, I don't know, more cranky about it. But at the same time, as we said in the open and as probably the headline of this podcast will say, they should never have let it get to the officials. They should finish it in regulation You finish in regulation, we're not worried about this. We're talking about what a great win this is for the Bucs. Could this propel them? They would then be three back of Philadelphia because Philly lost last night to to the Golden State Warriors who remain on an absolute heater. And and we would have been like, all right, we have a chance to pull within one game if we sweep Philly this weekend. And yet that didn't happen. So the best you can do is two you have a couple days off. That's kind of nice in this NBA. That's so condensed. I I don't, can't really remember the last time the Bucks had two days off. So it'll be good to kind of get everybody healthy, get everybody ready for that game against Philadelphia. And it's a big one. And if you lose again, it's tough, man. You're at three then. Then Saturday becomes kind of a must win. And then you got to win on Saturday. But let's hope you kind of can avoid that. You win the season series. I would say then Saturday becomes, I wouldn't say house money, but it just becomes a game where I don't think it's as important if you get a win uh, Thursday night. So we'll see if the Bucs can get it done um, and we'll see what happens the rest of this week. All right, we have Murph talking linebackers. Linebacker, obviously a position of need for the Packers. We use that term a lot in this one and go through all the different options there. I think there are a lot of guys that people like that I don't think we're too excited about. Um, so we have a, maybe a little different take on this stuff. I think the Byron Browning, we talk about him on this on this uh, edition of building Murph's Draft Fest though. I think he's gained a lot of momentum for the Packers in terms of mock drafts that I think Murph and I have seen. And by the way, um, for those who are wondering, we'll have the secondary tomorrow and then we will do a full draft manifesto. So all the episodes for Thursday, because I'm not going to be here. So it's kind of a... Thursday show for you guys when I'm not around. And then on, I think Monday night, Murph and I are going to get together and do a podcast to talk through the draft, kind of put the finishing touches on it. It'll either be a daily tap or tapping the keg. I think it'll be a daily tap with the length of a tapping the keg. The only reason why we might hold out on tapping the keg is because it's our 414 episode. We kind of talked about doing a Milwaukee draft, something we may be able to hammer out over the weekend and can talk about some other stuff as well. So, Stay tuned. Um, Just sort of have to figure out that schedule, but let's waste no more time. Here is the draft manifesto. Linebackers. Our guy Murph is very excited. Um, He is fired up, maybe the most fired up you've been since your surgery, uh, about the linebacker position.
1: We just need, uh, need a difference maker on the second level of the defense. We have not had one in so long um, I brought up Desmond Bishop and Nick Barnett. If you listen to the Edge conversation, I was half joking there.
0: Those guys were flashing the pans. I mean, but but you are like you are true on this, and I think that's the earliest you've came in on one of these. So welcome. Um, we the Packers have said with Joe Barry and the new system and the Vic Fangio's, basically how you want to run your defense. You need that rangy linebacker. You need a linebacker. Roquan Smith. You need somebody to yes. run sideline to sideline. Yes. And the Packers do not have it. I like Chris Barnes, I like Kamal Martin, but those guys aren't it. Those and guys they, are weak side linebackers. Right. They are
1: second linebackers. They're what Oren Burks, we hoped, would have been.
0: Right, exactly. And the Packers have not drafted a linebacker in the first three rounds, I think in the last 14 drafts. Was that right? Did I see that somewhere? 14 well, rounds? Yeah, I don't since know.
1: Nick Barnett. Yeah. I mean, Nick Barnett, I don't know where that... Officially ranks, but we have picked some horrendous linebackers
0: over the yes, years. Yes, we've had in some bad luck. We've had some
1: really bad luck with linebackers. Yeah, it and Desmond Bishop would have been a great player. He just got hurt. Yeah. So we just have not had. An, I mean, Lost we played, the cell phone uh, in Eau Claire. Yeah. Uh, we put Clay Justice. Matthews at middle linebacker. We were so bad at one point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we literally took our best pass rusher and put him in the middle of the field because teams have been attacking this part of the Packers' defense. For 15 years, so yes. If we don't make and if we don't really address this, I'm going to be upset.
0: So if if they don't draft, if they draft someone just kind of randomly, and we're doing a live review on that Thursday night, are you gonna? And you're probably in your cups a little bit. How mad are you going to be when you do that review? I mean, it'll.
1: I'll be pretty pissed if it's a Derek Sherrod situation where I open <laughs> up my draft magazine and he's undrafted. You know, that's how it was for people back in the day that were there. So, I mean, I'm just gonna. I mean. Micah Parsons, what do we have? He's he is in my for those that have been reading this for years. He's in my Eric Berry, What do we do? What do we need to do to move up to get him the Eric Berry Memorial Award? Exactly. <laughs> what do we need to do? To, because I know Bill Belichick wants him. If he doesn't get a quarterback, yeah, he just looks at him. And it's like oh, plug and play. Dante right. Hightower, ten yeah. more years. I'll just continue to right. have an amazing
0: defense. Does any of the he's kind of had some off the field stuff? He's they opted out. He opted he don't out that. that. I, but that's. Okay, I'll, I'll say this. I've been an anti op out guy if you've been following along with these podcasts. I don't think it's that big of a deal for a guy like linebacker. I, I don't. I think that's fine. Um, he's an athletic freak. The guy's a beast. I didn't even consider him on my list because I didn't think he'd be available for the Baggers. But Brian Gunacous has traded up in every one of his drafts. And so maybe a guy like Micah Parsons is the guy to trade up for, especially if he's still around. If it's before the Patriots, I think it would cost a lot um, that would be a a significant move up if it would be for before like say your rivals, the Bears and Vikings. It still cost a little, but it wouldn't be as it's a, significant. It's a big jump. It would be a big jump. Um, and it'd be a big commitment to Parsons.
1: And you hope that the you know, you hope that the Packers feel that he's Roquan Smith and Devin White and not um, Reuben Foster. I mean, right. With the oh. off-the-field concerns right now, I mean, Reuben Foster is not a good dude. No. But John Lynch had enough, you know, faith in Ruben right. Foster at the time that he traded up to get him, and it ended up somehow the Niners are amazing at drafting not costing that team. But Micah Parsons is that Dante Hightower type guy we've wanted and I've wanted forever. I just want someone like Roquan Smith that I just don't have to worry about, missing blocks, missing missing tackles. Tight ends running up the seam on them. I mean, yeah. Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin are passable. They are replacement players at the end of the day. That is why they were not drafted high. And Mike Pettin figured out how to make them okay, but they also stay can't stay healthy.
0: Yeah. Would you be okay if say Parsons goes by, he goes to New England, but there's an opportunity to move up for like a Xavier Collins? Would you be fine? Would you be fine with that? Or you you gave me a look like you yeah. wouldn't be.
1: Xavier Collins has been, you know. It's interesting what position he even is. I don't know what he is. I don't know if he is a like a rover. I don't know if he's an edge rusher. I don't know if he's a linebacker. Is that maybe the concern? That, that's my concern, that he doesn't have a specific fit. I know the Browns really do love him a lot. I mean, if you scan mock drafts, it's almost you know half the time he's going to the Browns, which you don't see that often. Once you get outside the top ten, so I would not be willing to make a move for a guy that doesn't have a position and didn't play in a big conference out of Tulsa.
0: Right. Even though he had just an awesome career at Tulsa, yeah, and was was really good. That makes sense. I, I'm okay with that. I I really like Chaz Sarat. Um, he's he overplays on the run a little bit, but he's really athletic. So that's like a lot like Kamal Martin. He can go all over the field. I think he's more of a round two guy, um, but I think Surratt can really play, and I think he's really talented.
1: Yeah, Surratt was on my list, friend of 469. That North Carolina team, um, they were pretty talented. They have a lot of good guys coming into the draft this year. Yes. I liked him a lot. Uh, Jabril Cox was not on my list. Uh, yeah. I, I think,
0: is that a point of contention for us or no? Well, he was on my list, but I kind of get what you said about him. Because we talked about Cox before we were even going to do this podcast. We talked so about like, Cox during the uh, SEC uh, season. Yeah, I watched I, Cox specifically. Yeah, I, I think there is a tweet like, Jabril Cox, former Green, future Green Bay Packer for me. Because I do that from time to time where I'll watch a guy and I'm like, I fucking want him on the Packers. Um, and he's a little soft though. Yeah. And... I think that would scare me because the Packers have had a history of drafting guys who are a little soft and then they just, they aren't rugged enough and they aren't ready to play in that big boy football. And I think Cox is one of those guys. And I, I'm concerned about that, especially when it, he's a guy similar to what we talk about with Quincy Roche a little differently. He made the jump from North Dakota state oh, just, to LSU. so interesting. I mean, what, and, and, what, what a different world. Right.
1: Yeah. And it, it didn't work out for him. And I don't think it worked out for no, him. No, because he wanted to be a first-round pick, and he's probably not going to be a first-round pick now.
0: No, I don't think so. Um, what do you think about Jamin Davis from uh, Kentucky? I think he has the range the Packers defensive coordinator wants. I'm not entirely sold on it, but I can get down with it. He's a big tackle. Again, there's a little bit of that soft thing you're worried about.
1: Yeah, he's he's a little risk for me. I put him in the Nick Bolton world of like okay, those Nick guys Bolton, yeah. that are shorter – that are big college producers of tacklers that I just stay away from at this point. Because those guys, you know, the um, the guys that lead the nation in tackles never translate to the NFL anymore, I don't feel like.
0: Yeah, it's like Luke Kuechly is like the outlier, right? Like Luke Kuechly was a guy who did tra- did translate, was good, fortunately had a lot of concussions, but he was, he was everything he wanted in a middle linebacker. A guy I would love for the Packers is Dylan Moses, because I had some Dylan
1: Moses was supposed to be a first-round pick, had the ACL injury, was never really a factor. Alabama loved this dude. I mean, Nick Saban went to leaps and bounds to get to recruit him, which I'm sure right. there's a lot of stories like that. But getting some guy that didn't have the most successful Alabama recruiter, me, that knows how to play defense, is very enticing at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I'm all in on the Dylan Moses idea. I
1: think, what do you think round you get Dylan Moses in? Do you think hits as far as third round? Yeah, I think you could get as far as the third round due yep. to the injury concerns. Uh, another guy as we kind of go through, Chuck and I's, Top five guys we like for the Packers, and then we'll touch on of we don't want to go to a rival. Baron Browning from Ohio State is another guy that I liked well. Oh, you know, he, he kind of gets overshadowed by a guy we just kind of highlighted, Tough Borland. Tough yeah. Borland
0: is your Jake Ryan and yeah, Blake no Martinez. Way. No way. No chance. No way. He I, got lit up by yeah, Alabama. Exactly. I want nothing to do yeah. with fucking he, Tough Borland. Yeah, if tuff, they draft Tough Borland, okay. I'm out. Like, you're, I, you're pissed. Tough no. Borland. There's a like, it's a very few guys where I would be like, absolutely no fucking way are we drafting and this Tuck guy. Tough Borland is there. Tough Borland is there. Okay. But Baron Browning,
1: I would, I'd be fine with. He's, you know, the third to fifth round. Um, that would be acceptable to me overall. You know, Ohio State, I mean, this team is just so loaded. You look at, you go through all these draft boards, they just have so many dudes every yeah, year coming I mean, out of the draft.
0: He was sixty six two two forty six. 246. He had. Big speed and agility numbers within the uh, pro day over the weekend. Kind of drew some eyeballs last week with what he did there. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. And I, I think we've talked about Big Ten, SEC. You just feel good about those conferences and how they translate into the NFL. So here's
1: a guy that I would mock as a linebacker. Some uh, may mock as a safety, but Jamie and Sherwood... A guy had a chance oh, okay. to cover Here we go. in West Palm talk Jamie Sherwood from Jensen Beach. I've been telling Chuck about this guy for what? Two years probably? Yeah. I mean, Jamie Sherwood is your kind of like rover linebacker safety, 6'2, 220. He was a freaking nature in high school. He started or played early at Auburn, didn't start right away, but played in the SEC. He's the type of guy that I'd be willing to take a risk on. A safety role. I I would rather take a risk on a safety than like an inside outside linebacker. So you
0: think he's less? You think he could actually be a linebacker, not be like a Kyle Duggar or a Jeremy Chet? I think he could be Devin Bush. I mean, that's high praise, but Devin
1: Bush also runs a four four. Right. right. So that's what I'm saying. We need to go outside the box to fix
0: this position. Yeah, and I, I don't think I don't hate that idea because it's like let's get creative with this and let's put that Raven green position. Now, I realize you're running a different defense than you were last year, but like, let's take that Raven green position and kind of put it on steroids. Whether it's a guy like a Sherwood or a Xavier Collins, like if you could sell me on that, I'm, I'm okay with it. And I guess you're not, which is fine. We don't have to agree on everything. Um, but I think that that is a good idea. And I had Sherwood in, when we were talking secondary next, that was more where I would have brought him in. And it was most mostly for you. But I, you've sold me enough that I, I'm into it, and I think he could be very successful. All right, let's go to
1: rivals, guys. We don't want to end up another per, you know team. Micah Parsons falls into yes. that category. right? Absolutely. I don't think he has a fit on the Bears because they have Rokon Smith. He could be a Viking if he goes to the Lions. Great, go have fun with Dan Campbell. If you have <laughs> Dan off, the, I don't. I can't see Dan Campbell and Micah Parsons really seeing eye to eye at the end of the no. day. I don't. I don't think, that I think I would see work them out having well. many sit downs that don't end well.
0: I don't think that would work out well. I also think. Collins in a 4-3 would be a problem. I think he's more of a 4-3 guy, more Xavier. I think about, yeah. The more I think about it, the more it seems like he'd be a 4-3 linebacker. And I don't know, maybe that doesn't really fit with the NFC. If it doesn't fit with the NFC North, it could fit with one of the NFC rivals. Where are we at with
1: Jeremiah Osua-Kumar, the Notre Dame guy that was kind of the Swiss Army knife all year for that Fighting Irish defense?
0: So again, another guy who what position is he? Is he a is he an edge rusher? Is he a safety? Is he a middle linebacker? And will that hurt him? Now, he's gotten mocked a lot to Vegas. I've seen that a few times, right? So maybe it's not going to be a worry. But if he was a part of a rival, I think that's a concern. Because he, a great pedigree, Notre Seattle, Dame. I don't need him going to see. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that would be terrible, right? Like,
1: that would be a bad, bad For a thing. For defense that's not good, getting a guy that right. was a contributor day Could one. be the next Bobby Wagner, could be the next KJ, KJ Wright. Wright yeah. Yeah. He's not a Mike Zimmer guy. Mike Zimmer no. likes
0: guys that... You know, fit in his, his square holes. Yeah, his, his his system, his his way. It's I mean, for Mike Zimmer, Mike Zimmer is the definition of my way or the fucking highway. That is Mike Zimmer in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. A- any other linebackers that we kind of missed that you would you know? No, it's an I interesting mean, position. so Bolton,
0: so Bolton, you you aren't at that
1: high. I'm now. off on Bolton just you're, because okay. He t- he just doesn't move. If at any point in your scouting report it says struggles to cover at some point, you are not in my draft Yeah. I have no time
0: for you. So who would be the guy – we haven't done this in a show, but I'm going to spring it on you since I know you're passionate about the linebacker. Who would be a guy that, like, would make you, like, want to, like, tear your ACL
1: again? I mean, I think Nick – if we took Nick Bolton in the first round for some reason, I'd flip out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would flip out. Tough Borland would be there, but I don't even know, like – Yeah, tough
0: Borland. I mean, if you draft him in, like, the fourth or fifth round, do you then start talking yourself into it? And you're like, well, I don't know. ah." I mean, he got abused in the national championship (laughs) game. I mean, that that tape doesn't lie. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the best of the best. And Here's yeah. one I can get mad at.
1: Patty Fisher from Northwestern. He's a relentless tackler. I bet Mark Murphy another, sends that to Goody another, every day. Another one. Anytime. Uh, the Northwestern, the annual Northwestern pick. Yeah. Although, yeah. Northwestern
0: coming in hot next next show.
1: Yeah, anytime we go down the Hiawatha Trail uh, <laughs> on the Amtrak and go back to the well for unneeded Northwestern talent. I mean, those guys, Northwestern barely should be in the Big Ten for football at the end of the day. I know they beat the Badgers. Last year, they have a couple. Good well, I mean, over.
0: Ryan Field is just a house of horrors for the Badgers. Yeah. They just can't figure it out. It's okay. It, it's a. It basically it was normal last year without any fans. I mean, they just don't play to anybody. That so. place is a dump. It I mean, is.
1: I've seen waste management factories look better than that. Place. I just
0: think was a nice city, though. I, I, uh, I did a Pat Fitzgerald football camp back in the day. Oh, look at you. Pat Fitzgerald almost agreed
1: with Packers head coach oh, at that point What well, could have been? Uh, <laughs> oh, that so would have been bad. That would have been bad. So that's the inside linebackers. This is a position, Chuck, I want so bad for us to, to improve. I do not want to roll in to week one with Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin. We need
0: to make you maybe a, uh, make inside linebackers relevant again. Maybe print the shirts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be
1: make uh, neck rolls cool again. Like, if if we draft Micah Parsons and he shows up day
0: one with a neck roll, I'm going to run through the wall. Yeah, we'll print the shirts. I mean, we'll, we'll do it. I mean, we were going to have Blake Martinez fan club shirts, which I'm glad we never sent to the printers. But, you know. Yeah, you could, I, know, I know. We were Blake the NFL, guys. We were Blake Martinez guys. Somehow the
1: scouts still love him in New York. Like, oh, he's just such a great... Blake Martinez stinks. Yeah, like the fact that the fact that the Mara family paid him is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, Um, so that's the inside linebackers. We will be back to you next with the secondary. Secondary, excuse me. A big, uh, you know, a big topic. It's the topic. This is the the... wide receivers for the Packers after we re-signed Kevin King. So we hear us next here on the Snow Tap. Nolan Murphy, Building Murph's Draft board Manifesto. That is a long time. You
0: you butchered the shit out of that. (laughs) Building Murph's Draft Manifesto. We'll be back uh, next time talking secondary. All right, that was for linebackers. Um, Thanks to Murph again uh, for doing this. I think we had a lot of fun. I think I'm more dialed into the NFL draft than I've ever been. I've mentioned that a couple times when I've came back from the the manifestos but yeah it's it's great and i I hope you guys are enjoying them i know i've heard from a few of you that you really like it so thanks for the feedback thanks for listening um yeah and let's wrap up the show with the milwaukee brewers so milwaukee brewers uh had a great win against san diego padres last night late night three to one Uh, Brandon Woodruff was dominant Uh, he allowed one hit it was in the first inning Um, he could have had a no hitter Uh, he did allow a run as well in that first inning but the Brewers came back Uh, Luis Urias hit a solo shot off Joe Musgrove and Urias first game back to San Diego after getting traded. Now, Urias left the game with a cramp injury. Cramps were hot in the Milwaukee streets last night. And he, but the council thinks he might be able to play. Let's hope so. Because if he can't play, that would mean that four out of the nine opening day got, uh, four out of the eight, because the ninth is the pitcher. So half of the opening day roster is currently hurt. Opening day starting lineup, I guess is the best way to put it. That's bad. That's not good. And the Brewers are scrapping by. And I think right now, what really this is, is you just have to kind of ride the wave with the Milwaukee Brewers until people start getting back. Like you can't really get too wound up. Like, yeah, if you blow a game, yeah, it's frustrating, right? Especially if it's a guy who you rely on, such as like a Devin Williams or a Josh Hader. Like if Hader would have not shut the door in the ninth inning, I think we'd, we'd have every right to be mad, especially because a bunch of random no-namers came up with big hits. Urias, Billy McKinney, and Tyron Taylor. So like, those are guys you don't expect to have big moments, but they did. And Brian Anderson even joked, like, at the start of the year, did you expect, you know, any of these guys to have, sort of be the stars of the game, quote-unquote, plus obviously Brandon Woodruff. We expect Brandon Woodruff to kind of deliver the noise and deliver the heat. But to that point, you have to kind of ride the wave here until some guys get back. Until you know you have Colton Long and Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain. You have to sort of just hope these the Brewers can stay sort of waiting in the water. They don't have to like go on like a six or seven-game win streak. If they do, incredible. But you don't wanna have like a four or five game losing streak and sort of put yourself in a bad position. I don't think the starting pitching will allow them to do this. This is kind of what you need going forward. Like this is the blueprint in a way. I wouldn't say 13 strikeouts is part of the blueprint. Joe Musgrove was dominant yesterday. He definitely deserved better. It's why uh, wins and losses in baseball are stupid for pitchers because I could argue Joe, Joe Musgrove won his start, quote unquote. He just didn't actually, his team didn't actually win. And, uh, but yeah, you can't stray out 13 times, but yeah, if your pitching staff is giving you this opportunity and all you need to do is come through with a couple timely hits, then there we go. And, and that would, that would be really needed. And you need, if Castillo could find it, if Aviso Garcia could kind of stay hot, same with Travis Shaw, I think you could be all right and you could remain sort of at that water finds its level. But if, if you struggle, I don't know, man, I think... I think you could have some you could have some real issues and that just got to be careful, right? You just got to be careful in the next few weeks here without the guys like Yelich and Lorenzo Cain or Colton Wong. Colton Wong now has been out for 2 weeks, right? He left in the St. Louis game, so it's been it's been 2 weeks almost with Colton Wong. He should be eligible to come off the DL I think today actually cuz he went on the DL on Friday, so yeah. He'll be eligible to get on the DL. It's an oblique injury, though. You know, those oblique injuries can last for a while. Yelich is eligible on Saturday. I would hope that Yelich could come back Saturday. That would be a huge boost to the Milwaukee Brewers. I think the goal, too, with in terms of this remaining at sea level, is you have the Dodgers in two weeks in a four-game series. Now, the game won't mean that much. It's, you know, it's not a divisional opponent, but it still matters of how you It's a good measuring stick for the brewers and i think we'd want to see that measuring stick with a lot of that roster healthy i don't think we want to watch the dodgers face off against jace peterson, luis urias and danny robertson no disrespect to those guys but that's just not going to get it done especially against a team like the dodgers now they did lose to the mariners last night but still like you you just don't necessarily you don't necessarily see that with with a, an elite team like LA. So, want to get these guys healthy. And yeah, it's all about just riding the wave. And it was really good performance from Brandon Woodruff. And you had the bullpen get the job done. Fire Eisen, Hater, great. Like, all, all pitched well. Good bounce back for Suter after uh, struggling against Pittsburgh on Friday night. Uh, that was a very good response for him. And then Hater shut the door on a back-to-back start or back-to-back close. Velocity looked good. I doubt that Hater will be available tonight, um, so you probably would have to go to Devin Williams. Um, but we'll see. Um, you know, Hater can maybe do three. He certainly couldn't do four. So they, they could maybe push him out of third, but I'd be a little nervous that, to have Hater for a third straight game. But we'll see. And we'll see what happens with Corbin Burns and Chris Paddock tonight. I feel pretty good about that one Um, just because Paddock only has two pitches. I know he pitched well against the Brewers uh, two years ago, but it's really just a fastball and a curve. And it's like, if you can figure that out, like you're golden. And so I trust that the Brewers offense has enough there they can figure that out. It'll be interesting to see too if Council goes back to Vogelbach and Hura. He had mentioned that the reason Peterson started is he needed the defense, which is true because Woodruff is a ground ball pitcher. I don't think Burns is as much of a ground ball pitcher. So I wonder if they go back to Hura uh, and Vogelbach uh, tonight because that does give the Brewers a little more power. And you saw McKinney was able to knock one out on the left side, even though it's not easy in Petco Park. All right, that does it for our show today. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, We'll talk about the secondary. We'll also talk about Brewers Padres and anything else that comes down the pipeline. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. All right, see you, bye.